you. Um, okay, we are a new series, couple week series about Advent, which is all about like a time of waiting and preparing and anticipating um, the coming of Jesus. And so like Christmas is awesome. I love presents that might make me shallow. I like getting them and giving them both. Tis the season. Tis the season. But um, really, we should spend time preparing our hearts for the amazing thing that God did when he came to the earth um, as a baby. So this is my friend Julie, and she's going to talk to us tonight about um, prophecy being fulfilled in the Bible, which is a really fancy way to say things were predicted hundreds of years before they came to be, and it's all in the Bible. But not only is Julie brilliant, she really has taught me tons about understanding um, like prophecy fulfilled. That's a huge deal. She's beautiful, am I right? She makes Thank the you. best cookies I've ever had in my life. Yours are over there. Yes! Waiting for They're you. mine, not yours. <laughs> and she is the cutest baby in the world. She's not a baby. She's like five, six? Almost six. Oh my gosh. Okay, so this is my friend Julie. Will you guys give a round of applause? Make her really feel welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Man, I've never had an introduction like that. But uh, welcome, I'm excited to be here tonight, and I'm excited to see each and every one of you. Um, so Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. Like, don't you find that really weird? Think about it, isn't that weird? Uh, he also said he was the Lamb of God, and that's a really strange thing to say. I mean, why would anyone say that? The Magi traveled thousands of miles looking for a specific place in the Middle East for one child. What's that all about? And while we're at it, why did Herod kill all of those babies uh, in Bethlehem that were under the age of two? That's horrific. If you're familiar with the story of Jesus and his birth, um, you might find his entrance into the world a little peculiar. This story is marked by quite a few really strange things, things you wouldn't normally find in a birth story. So tonight, as Nikki said, we're going to take a look at the Christmas story, but not the Christmas story you normally think of. No, this story is an ancient one. This story is threaded throughout history and as, as, is as old as the world is. The beginning is marked by God himself. And the story has no end. It simply moves through space and time, gaining momentum, and invites each and every one of us to be a part of the story. This story is about Jesus. Of how one small baby boy, born into a specific time and place in history, was the culmination of thousands of years of anticipation. Anticipation, it's a funny thing. Do you know the most exciting thing about Christmas? It's not Christmas itself. It's the anticipation of Christmas. When I was young, my parents used to wrap presents and set them out under the tree weeks before Christmas time. And my siblings and I would be caught at least once a day under the Christmas tree, shaking our presents, trying to figure out what was inside. The mere presence of all of these wrapped surprises was enough to keep the anticipation of Christmas morning at an all-time high in our household. Our antics used to drive my mom crazy, but without the anticipation of Christmas morning, 
I can't imagine that Christmas would hold as much magic all season long. So in the same way, one small baby boy born into a specific time and place in history was the culmination of thousands of years of anticipation. Anticipation that God was going to do something, something great, something his people had been waiting a long, long time for. Just like my parents who put wrapped packages under the trees in the weeks leading up to Christmas, the Spirit of God had been leaving clues and special messages for his people over a series of 1,200 years. 1,200 years. And each message was like a gift. It was a clue to who the Messiah would be, when he would come, and what he would do. And just like those wrapped presents where the size and weight and shakeability could be determined, God's people knew something was coming. But just like the wrapped presents were in the contents had not yet been revealed, what and who they were looking for was still a mystery. It wasn't revealed yet. They knew somebody was coming, but who he would be and when he would come and what he would do and how he would be God's plan to rescue his people, they didn't know. So near the time of Jesus' birth, all of these questions had been swirling around for centuries in anticipation of the movement of God was at an all-time high. The last time God had spoke to the nation of Israel and his people was 400 years prior. 400 years. So that's a lot of time to wonder if God forgot. To start wondering if God had changed his mind. God was silent after all. So maybe you feel the same way tonight. Has God been silent? Has it been a while since you've heard that still, small voice of God whispering to you? Do you wonder if God's forgotten you? Do you wonder if God has changed his mind about loving you? I'm sure the Israelites felt this deeply as well. So how do we know that God had a plan? Why was the nation of Israel waiting for the movement of God? Where does the thread of our story have its origin? We know these things because the Bible is full of messianic prophecies or predictions that relate in some way to the birth of Jesus, his life on earth, and his death and his resurrection. Biblical prophecies were hidden clues or predictions of something to come. And there's over 61 prophecies in the scripture. 61. But that's not all the prophecies. That's just the major ones. The ones we read or hear and say, oh yeah, that's totally about Jesus. That's obviously about Jesus. And this number might not sound like a huge number, but considering that these prophecies took place over a span of 700 years is quite impressive. Not only that, but these prophecies were written between 400 years and 1,200 years before Jesus was even born. 
and they were written by many, many different authors. Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies that were written about him. But what it makes it more incredible is that these prophecies weren't only written about Jesus and for Jesus. They were written and fulfilled by others like Mary, Jesus's mother. The prophet Isaiah was the one who wrote the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Can you imagine writing something like that? I mean, wouldn't your brain try to autocorrect that, to censor that information before you wrote it down and passed it out? But Isaiah didn't. He heard from God and he wrote it down as crazy as that sounds. Or can you imagine predicting the future city one of our presidents would be born in? The prophet Micah did 700 years before Jesus was born. Can you imagine predicting how somebody condemned to die would be executed a thousand years in the future? Especially when that form of execution didn't even exist at the time? King David prophesied the crucifixion hundreds of years earlier. What about predicting the method of betrayal? King David prophesied the Messiah would be betrayed by a kiss, and the prophet Zechariah told us that the price of that betrayal was 30 pieces of silver. So all of these things were written down hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. So I don't know about you, but I find that completely fascinating and nearly impossible. Impossible unless somebody had a grand purpose in designing it all someone who was brilliant. So in college, I took a statistics class because it was required, like no elective math classes on my part, let me tell you. But one thing we learned about that all future business leaders need to know about is probability. So probability, if you haven't gotten to statistics yet, which I can't imagine you have, is the likelihood of how something is, uh, how likely something is supposed to happen. Like, how, how likely it will happen. So is it possible? Could this happen? With numbers, there's actually a way to determine how possible something is. Like, who knew? Isn't that crazy? So that said, uh, I was curious about the probability or the likelihood of all of these messianic prophecies being fulfilled. So just to put this in perspective of how mind-blowing this actually is, um, I'm going to, like I said, I'm no mathematician, but I'm going to, this information actually comes from an online uh, source to kind of show you how mind-blowing this is. So mathematics and astronomy professor Peter Stoner made the statement that for eight messianic prophecies to be fulfilled, um, the chance of that actually happen, happening in, happening is one in 10 to the 17th power. 1 to the 17th power. So I'm going to put this number on screen so that you can see how many zeros that is. That's 17 zeros to be precise. So in other words, for the probability of eight messianic prophecies to be fulfilled is one out of this number. Whatever this number actually is. I lose track after the trillion mark. So one in quintillion, one in a freakazillion, I don't know, one in a phonetic billion? Who knows? Does anyone know that number? So to put this in perspective, this would be equivalent to covering the entire state of Texas 
we're talking about 269,000 square miles with silver dollars two feet deep. And then blindfolding somebody and asking that person to walk across the entire state, stop, and pick one coin up and the one coin you marked, the one and only coin you marked. That is the probability of just eight of these messianic prophecies written in the scripture to be fulfilled. So impossible to say the least, right? So what about the fulfillment of 16 prophecies? That probability or likelihood of that coming true is 1 in 10 to the 45th power, or this number on screen. That is 1 in this number, chances of that happening. I can't even read this number because, like I said, C-plus statistics student right here. But I do know that the larger this number is, the less likely it's actually able to happen. So that's one chance out of that number that 16 prophecies could actually take place. So what about 61 prophecies? What about 61 plus prophecies with the added complexity of other people involved? People like Herod and Mary and Jewish leaders of the time and Joseph and the Magi and John the Baptist and Judas who betrayed Jesus. There are prophecies in scripture written about each and every one of those people. And I can't believe I'm saying this while teaching, but you see why you need to see the math to get an understanding of how astronomical this number is? These prophecies are a gold mine of discovery pointing to the person of Jesus Christ, who not only fulfilled all of these prophecies written about him, but also experienced the fulfillment of all the prophecies that were written about other people. So 10 years ago, I traveled with my then 85-year-old grandma to Alaska, and we went with this tour company to this mo the most beautiful country I've ever seen. I actually have a picture of us. Um, this is us. She was the oldest in this group, and I was the youngest by far. And so we traveled over land and sea to experience one of America's last greatest wildest frontiers, which surprisingly had a lot of gift shops. But one of our out, thank you, that one person. <laughs> one of our outings was to an abandoned gold mine touring tourist trap in the mountains. So we toured the mines, and then we toured the replica camp of what um, a miner camp would have looked like in the 1800s. And in the end, we were funneled to a gold panning station of our very own, where we were giving um, a, pan, a mining pan like my grandma has there and a bag of rich Alaskan dirt. And the goal was to find a few flakes of gold in the dirt um, so we could have the experience of panning for gold, but then we had the opportunity to sell these gold flakes back to the gift shop um, for a profit. What actually happened was most people walked out of the gift shop with a souvenir gold necklace. <laughs> they had a pendant on it that had actually their gold flakes in it, so uh, they actually got gypped because it only costed them like $200 for to preserve the gold they found while panning. Thankfully, neither my grandma or, my, my, or myself fell for this, even though panning was sort of fun. But the one thing I remember about panning for gold was that as we were sitting there and we were swishing around the dirt and we were rinsing it off, looking for those small, precious flakes of gold, 
is what we did when we found these gold flakes. Once we found them, we showed each other, then we showed our neighbor, and then we showed the person sitting next to us, and then we celebrated, and then what we did is we set them aside because uh, we got to keep whatever we found. And we wanted to keep our gold flakes because gold is valuable, after all. So I think all of these messianic prophecies in Scripture are just like that. They've been hidden, they've been uncovered, they've been rejoiced over, they've been set aside to share with others. But they've never lost their value. Their true value is that they are ever pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. To the skeptic who isn't sure of this Jesus thing, they are an anchor. They are a solid place to come back to as their many questions and doubts feel like they're being pulled farther and farther away from Christ. To the high schooler, as you embark on your future to find your own life and to discover your own faith, they are a beacon. They are a light illuminating a dark harbor ever beckoning you back to Christ. And to me, a follower of Christ, they are a treasure, something to pull out and to marvel and ponder, something more precious than the hidden gold flakes in the Alaskan soil. To me, they are the assurance that Jesus is who he said he was, our savior, our friend, our rescuer. But here's the thing. God wasn't just thinking about Mary and Joseph and the shepherds that first Christmas night. He wasn't just giving the Magi directions into Bethlehem to find the baby Jesus. God wasn't just thinking about the people in scripture that we read who were fulfilling these prophecies. God was thinking about you. You are a part of the story because this story is for you. God cares for you as a person. He was thinking about you when he crafted Jesus' birth plan. He was thinking of you when he sent Jesus to earth as a baby. <clears throat> Jesus was thinking about you when he volunteered to die on the cross. You are the purpose behind all of these prophecies written down, uncovered, rejoiced over, and shared for centuries. <coughs> Excuse me. You were a part of the story because it is for you that Jesus came. So what do we do with this? I didn't come here tonight to dazzle you with my subpar mathematical ability or even set you off on a trail to find all of these messianic prophecies, but rather I came to point you to Jesus. I want you to glimpse, get a glimpse of him in moments of quiet reflection. You know, those moments when you set aside your phone or turn off your computer. I want to spark your curiosity about Jesus so you'll continue looking for him. <clears throat> Panning through the mess of this world, looking for him as if he's a treasure to be uncovered. Because Jesus is. He is a treasure to be uncovered, but he's also a treasure accessible and waiting to be found. After Jesus' resurrection from the dead, and after the start of the early church, one of Jesus' disciples wrote about his account of his life um, and his teachings. 
And the Apostle John, who wrote this account, closed his entire gospel by sharing the purpose of writing his letter. (coughs) He said, these things are written so that you may believe in Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. And so that's my prayer for us today. So take time to consider what God's ancient story of God points at and reveals. And as you go into your small groups tonight, and as you go out to shop for Christmas and walnut toys, ask yourself, what is your place in this story? What is your place in God's story? It is not by chance that you are here in this world. You were wanted and loved by the Father. God doesn't leave things to chance. He goes to the 10 to the 145th power to make sure something happens. So you are not an accident. You are not some weird statistical anomaly, but beloved, perfectly created, broken, and beautiful child of God. God loves us so much that he set out a treasure map in the scripture for all of us, and at the same time, for each one of us. God stacks the deck where probability is concerned and goes out of his way for the one, for you and for me. So I'm going to invite you now. We're going to pray in closing. I'm going to have the worship team come up. Um, But I'm going to invite you just to quiet your mind while I simply ask God to give us a sense that he's here with us and that he loves us. To remind each and every one of us that we are wanted and loved by the Father. So just please pray with me and bow your heads and pray. Father, we just thank you that you don't leave things to chance. We thank you that you just go out of your way for the one, for us, for each and every person in this room. That we are loved by you, that we are created by you, that you uh, moved heaven and earth to move everything into place so that Jesus could be born in a manger all of those years ago. God, I just pray that you speak to the quiet and tender places of our hearts to reassure us of your love and your presence, um, your plan for us, your plan for a good future. God, I thank you for all of these students um, who are here tonight to set aside their time just to learn about you and, um, and hang out and have some fun. And so God, as we go from here, I just pray that you bless our conversation. Um, bless our small group time. Bless the time shopping at Target for those toys. God, thank you for being present. We love you. We love your son, Jesus. And we pray all of these things in his blessed name.